And welcome to the Space Between Podcast. I am your co-host, Jossie Cunningham, here with Joy Natolo, my co-host, and also here with the, um, I don't even know how to describe him, uh, like the 15 or 16-year-old boy in me is like, yo, this is this is your dude right here. This is, he watched him play. But we have Ricky Williams here in the podcast with us, here in the studio, and uh, what an honor it is to have you here, honestly, and uh, what an honor it is to be here and to be alive. So uh, welcome, guys. Welcome. Um, first and foremost, I would like to just share a story about how um, we all are kind of interconnected. Or, or, or would you want to share that, Joey? Start. Um, well, so like I told you guys before in one of the episodes, I went on a very interesting boat trip for a brother. Uh, I went to Arizona. That's where I met Joey. Uh, and the first question Joey asked me was, do you know Ricky Williams? Yeah. And I said, of, of, of course. Like, I know Ricky Williams. And he goes, do you want to interview him? And I was like, well, uh yeah, I don't know how that's going to happen, um, but come full circle, we're here right now. So for me, this is actually a very, uh, it's a beautiful moment. Uh, it's really come full circle for me to come back here now and have the opportunity to share this space with you and interview you after Joey shared that with me. And then Joey has his own story about how he's also connected. Joey, please. Yeah, that's why the, the, the picture of the tents up there is, um, God, it was about, about three years ago. Uh, we were driving down the street, and he, he brought up Ricky to me, and he, I, I was going through a, a change at the time. I didn't know what was going on, but a lot of the people around me thought I was, uh, I was losing my mind. And so he said, he goes, hey, what's up, Matt? You know that guy, Ricky Williams? I'm, I was like, no, no, who is that? He goes, that, that football player. He's like, the same shit happened to you happened to him. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, he moved to Australia, moved into a tent. This is what he's telling me. I don't know the, the whole story, so I don't know anything. So he tells me this whole thing, and it goes out, out of my zone. I don't hear nothing about it, but I remembered it, obviously. Next thing you know, I, uh, I end up in India, and I ended up in Ricky Williams' wife's room with me and, well, yo, 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 with me and Jack, <laughs> Jack Starr. And so I had no idea still that, that they were married. We, we had talked, we were hanging out, and I did not find out until months later that that, that was... You would, the whole thing had tied together, so I was tripping on it. That's when I saw Jossie, because after I saw you, I, 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 I met him, and I don't know why I even said it to him. I was like, I just knew that something was going to happen like this, or felt it very strongly. Um, and, I, and every time I'd see you, I knew, even from the first, I remember the first time when I saw you in India, when they, like you, uh, you were sitting in India, and I remember sitting down the whole, it was just like one of those things to where you knew you knew someone before, but you're not knowing exactly how. And, and that feeling, that's so, that was my introduction to Ricky Williams. It wasn't football. I wasn't uh, raised around um, sports like that. I, I wish I did, but, but it was just interesting to, uh, to, to hear those things and then to go through the, the situation I went through and then to be sitting, and now to be sitting with them. So it's a definitely interesting, interesting story for sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And, um, and there's so many points of, 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 of reference that we have for understanding who you are in the world, especially in sports. Um, but the real interest that I found in, in like researching you and digging up things was that, um, you know, your transition. Because for me, I played football in college. I wanted to go pro. I went to Howard University. Um, I wanted to go pro, and it didn't happen. And, of course, as a football player, as an athlete, when your dream ends, nobody tells you what's next. Nobody tells you or prepares you for that next step. And so for me, I had to develop a skill set early on um, because my football career didn't work out. Whereas a lot of people who did play football and did make it pro, 
had to then go through a process of developing that after or, 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 or throughout the rigors of playing, um, which can be tough. And I used to beat myself down. I used to be shameful of like, man, I never made it. All my friends made it. Um, and a lot of athletes go through that. A lot of guys who don't make it and who are just, you know, working a job, a nine to five, working an enterprise, they go through that kind of like almost depression. Um, and so a part of this podcast for me today in this episode was actually some healing um, because there's a wound in me um, of, of the kid that, that didn't make it. Um, and I used to grapple with that most of my life and I still did. Um, so I'm just honored to really sit in the space and understand more of your legacy and more of your journey uh, because it is so interesting where you've taken the, the turns. Because uh, I've taken similar turns just in a very different way. Um, and first and foremost, I would love to just understand how you grew up. Uh, like, where did you grow up? You know, where are you from? I grew up in um, you know, two hours, two hours south from here in uh, San Diego. Mm-hmm. Born and raised, and uh, I was in San Diego until I went off to start my athletic career. And, of course, we all know that, uh, you know, you went to Texas. Uh, you know, go... But what's the the the, the Texas yeah. hook 'em horns, hook 'em horns? Um and your your career there was very illustrious as we know. Um and I just wanna understand, you know, why did you choose Texas? You know, what was the reason that took you from San Diego, California all the way to Texas? You know, when I was going through the recruiting process, um you know, just going back to something you said said earlier. I was talking to, to my wife a little bit about this today, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on this a, a bunch, but this idea of, of making it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I got to a point in my life, you know, where I started asking myself some difficult questions, and one of the questions is, like, what, does that even, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and I realized that we're all born into some kind of system, you know, and, and most of our rules and laws that we try to live by are, are usually aren't even internal. They're based on how to fit in into the system. Mm-hmm. One manifestation of that is, is the idea of, of making it, you know, and, and um, for me, the spiritual path is, is first and foremost the psychological path in meeting inside of our own head, getting clear on our own system, you know, and, and once we're clear on our own system, we can find out how we can function inside the system that we're, that we're born into. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and so as a kid, um, I, I pretty much just knew that I was going to play sports and that sports would take me wherever I was, wherever I was headed. I didn't really have a definition of, of what it meant to, um, to make it. Um, but still, I was, you know, in the system and doing my own thing and, and the way that it, it comes out is people look and say, wow, he made it or he's, mm-hmm. he's successful. But in my own mind, like, <laughs> I'm not even close to making it. What's your uh, what's your idea of success? My idea of success is is living a life that feels good to me, you know, but not based on other people's rules of what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad, but something where, you know, I wake up, it's cliche, I wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and I feel good about what I see. You know, again, not not based on what I'm supposed to look like or where I'm supposed to be, but, but my own internal navigation system. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I find it very fascinating that, um, you know, as athletes, we're kind of, we're driven into a box um, from early on, especially as, as, as black males in this country. We're like, we're put on a conveyor belt almost into um, performance, um, physical performance. 
and we don't get really concerned or we aren't raised to be aware of what's happening inside, outside of like religion or church. Um, so what was your path of finding spirituality in your life as far as like, how did you, did, did you grow up with a, a background in church? Did you believe in God early on? Like, what was your path? I feel like I was, I was born spiritual. I mean, I was literally born in, into the church. Um, I'm a PK. My, you know, my father's a minister. My father's mother's a minister. My mother's mother's a minister. So, mm. you know, I was one of those kids that was in church at least, at least three times, three times a week. And, uh, and I feel like it's just, it's just a, a part of me, but you know, in saying that there's still a, a maturation process. Cause mm-hmm. I talked about the system. I think, you know, a big part of the system, uh, for Western culture for a couple thousand years was based on religion. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, finding my own, and I was lucky, you know, I, as a kid, you have selective hearing. And so as a kid, what I heard in church was, uh, you know, having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and that he lives in your heart. And these two images uh, carried me through a lot of adversity. And mm. I think, you know, African-Americans, right? You know, we're, we're very Christian. Literally, it's part, no, it's it's part of our history. Is, I tell is. people, if you're African-American, your history is rooted in slavery. Mm-hmm. That's that's our history. It is, and, and I think in I think the reason we survived was because we had religion. Hmm. And I think our cultural wealth is our ability to deal with adversity. You know, hmm. um, you know, <laughs> my mom, my mom's favorite saying was "feel raped and get over it." You know, this <sighs> idea of in this you know in this world in this country you live in, if you expect to be treated fairly, you know. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> so again, you know, learning to to see that there's a system, but also this for us that there is a need to find our place in the system. And I think a lot of a lot of the reason we gravitate towards sports, um, uh, uh, beyond physical reasons, is because you know that's our that's the way that we can fit into the system. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm African American, but I joke and say I have an asterisk by my name because I have a little bit of fame, and I feel like. I had to create that fame just to be treated like a human being. Hmm. Wow. <sighs> boy, boy, boy. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's real because, I mean, I always recognize that as I've, get, I've gotten old, I'm 31 now, and my path toward finding my place uh, in the world for myself, not because of some societal standard or because someone says this is what I am, was very difficult. Um, I went through periods of suicidal depression, all these things, because growing up, when you're born into a certain category and a certain categorized existence, you don't realize how much of a cage you're already in before you even put yourself in a cage. So for me, it's been this process of like deprogramming. Um, you know, it's amazing that the Hindus came up with the word to describe what you just said. They call it karma. You mm-hmm. uh <laughs> And, and I, I think quite literally, I think we all we were born in a prison of our past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think the first half of life is reminding ourselves. And then as we move into, you know, what people loosely call adulthood, we start <laughs> to become more empowered to to make different to make different choices. Um, you know, and, and that's and that's, you know, it's it's in the Bible as the, you know, the baptism of Jesus. He said he. He went in the water and he came out and he's, you know, it's all dove descending like, like the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is the apt metaphor for, I think, for a spiritual, for a spiritual awakening. Um, and in my spiritual awakening, I was fortunate to have, to have mentors and teachers. And, and one of my, 
the biggest teacher from jump. She said, you're not your body. You know, you're not your body. You, you know, African-American male, that's not really who you are. Yeah. And I think this is, this is the, the waking up. This is the beginning of the waking up process is to realize that we're more than our karma. You know? hmm. we're, we're, we're something that has the ability to, to choose and to change things. Now, what, what, what was the initial kind of entry point into spirituality outside of religion for you? Um, it was the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I love Da Vinci Code, by the way. Well, this, this idea of this idea of, of, of questioning received wisdom, you hmm. know, and, and we mentioned earlier, gr- growing up in the church, right? There was no questioning the received wisdom about the truth of, of who Jesus was as a man, and you know, and I read the Da Vinci Code late, you know, after everyone kind of got was was all, just I started reading it and I got to the end, and I was left with this question of hmm. Right. This is the first time that I that this this truth about Jesus, the man was questioned in my mind. Mm-hmm. And the metaphor was questioning received wisdom. And so I started to reflect on my life and, and ask some some big questions that, you know, that never even occurred to me before. <laughs> and what opened up to that was a, was a space for me to be something more than I ever thought I could be. And, and again, to me, this is an apt metaphor for for the spiritual awakening is we think we're something until we wake up to realize that we're much more than that. You're a deep dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he, I mean, <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think there are, there are definitely points in, 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 in your history as a human um, that are misunderstood. Um, things that we all try to, like, what, why do you do that? What, what happened? Because, I mean, I, I find myself going through this often where I feel like, I'm I'm so much more than what I look like. I'm so much more than the shell. People get so caught up in identification with the body that they forget that there's a soul in there that's also speaking and doing things and directing the way. And I've been so lost in finding that now that it's been like I've forgotten about this almost. Um, like I'm not even concerned uh, anymore with this. And for you being such a, a physical specimen as far as like just always being like, You know, it's it's this the same the same time that I that I really had this spiritual awakening. You know, the Da Vinci Code, right? Exactly. A- asking asking difficult questions. How old, yeah. how old were you there? Yeah, when was this? It's like 2004, so I was 27. Okay. Um, you know, for me, it was like I said, we're put on the, we're put on this earth, and I think the first you know chunk of our life, youth, is really just you know re recapitulation of, of past themes coming up in our lives and we reach a level of maturity where we realize you know we've come to ground zero and now it's time to move forward and I think that's when new ideas and new themes start to come in and, and if we're willing to, to ask the questions we, we recognize them and so I was I was sitting in my locker one day and just thinking about what am I doing with my life and I was like Dude, I'm known for distracting people for a couple hours on a Sunday you know and that didn't feel good to me and, and I just had the sense, like, I know my senses are something, 
something more meaningful I could be doing with my life. And as soon as I had that thought, I started to become aware of different opportunities that were always there for me to take, like retiring from football and, yeah. and you know, traveling and, and getting to getting to know myself and see the world a little bit more. And so it occurred to me that I can do this. And so I did it. <laughs> so you went to it really, it really is that it, it really is that simple. I mean, yeah, most, of the, most of the, the chains we keep ourselves in are just based on this false idea of what is right and what is wrong and what we can do and what we can't do. People rarely ask the question, you know, what would I really like to do here? Hmm. And, and the next point is and not care what other people think. And that's, that's going to bring me to this point. Um, so there were some things that I remember that were like expression points for you that the, the media and the world just took and ran with and did not understand or still probably don't understand. And I think there's a picture here of when you were on the front of ESPN, the magazine, because I remember this cover and I remember how I felt. I remember when I was like, wow, this is interesting. And I've always felt that way about you and your career and everything that you've done is that you're a man of pure interest that people are just intrigued by because of how you've decided to choose to live and express yourself. And that's courageous because most people are scared to do that. And when they do do it, they're not doing it from a place of like, you know, they're doing it from ego. Um, and so explain some of this. Cause <laughs> I, mean, I joke around and say, I, honestly, I just didn't get proper training. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's I'm, seriously, I, I really just didn't get proper, proper training. And so whenever I tried to tune into what I was supposed to be doing, I never could figure it out. I feel you. And so I was left with, just trusting my heart and going with that, whatever my heart said. And, and I was a good enough athlete that people let me get away with it long enough that I internalized it. Huh. Um, and, and I just stuck with it. I mean, you know, th this, this piece, um, I thought it was funny. I, I thought it was, it was an interesting deal. You know, I, I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't happy about being drafted by the saints and, and then trading all the picks, but it was what it was. And it was an interesting situation. It's a story that'll be told, you know, Pretty much every draft. And so I had a good friend of mine who wrote for ESPN the magazine and said, we're trying to figure out some kind of clever image for, yeah. for the cover. And, you know, we threw things back around for a couple of months. And he, he mentioned this. And the flashback I had was, um, must have been in sixth, sixth grade. And I have a twin sister. Um, and, you know, in sixth grade, boys and girls are about the same size. So in sixth grade, my sister actually was an inch taller than I was. And um, I woke up one morning and we were just messing around. And so I, um, I, I dressed up, I played dress up. I put on some of my sister's clothes and I put on a wig to try to trick my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when he asked me to, to do this, this, this cover, I just had that flashback and I thought this would be funny like playing, playing dress up. <laughs> it, I mean, and, and when, when the media got a hold of it and started talking to me about it, their, the way they looked at it, Never even, never even crossed my mind. Yeah, exactly. Never even crossed my mind. I, like I said, I didn't receive that proper proper training. training. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, I I still work with some um, NFL guys that are still there. Um, Stefan Diggs is, is one of them, um, and they do receive training now. <laughs> it's a part of the pre-draft package. It's a part of everything. So it's interesting that you say that. And then I have another picture because I didn't even know you played baseball, and this is just stuff that I'm. I was totally confused about when digging into Ricky Williams' history. Like, baseball, when did you – baseball, I just want to hear it. Like, like, when did you play baseball? Why? How? Baseball actually was, was before football for me. I mean, Talk about growing it. Growing up in San Diego, I was lucky enough to be able to watch, to me, one of the best hitters ever, Tony Gwynn. You know, and I was a big baseball fan growing up. 
I mean, imagine I was seven years old by myself listening to baseball games <laughs> on the radio, okay? <laughs> by myself. There was no dad. Or anyone. I, just, I just loved it so much. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, out of high school, to be drafted by the Phillies um, and have an opportunity to, to play minor league baseball for four years. Um, and again, you know, I, the training I did get from my mom was anything I wanted to do, I could do it if I put my mind to it. And I, I was dumb enough to believe her. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I think the the one that we're going to segue into, because I think it's just such a, you know, like I remember watching a documentary called Run, Ricky, Run, um, amongst other things that were about you and, and just publicized in the media. And I found it so fascinating that you decided to just step away from football and go do anything, <laughs> you know, because most people who step away, they kind of step away, but they kind of they step away just a little bit. Um, you really removed yourself um, for some time from the game just to kind of restore, um, which is a word that's not often recognized or, or in football. Well, you know, I, I want to stop you there. And, and something that you mentioned earlier, I think we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this more. You talked about a little bit about astrology. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things on my journeys that I started to, to understand and, and become interested in was, was astrology. And, and the way I understand it, um, there's forces, right? There's forces that, la that lay underneath the, the surface. In ancient Greece, they call them gods, you know. Um, now, you know, we call them, we call them uh, complexes. We have fancy psychological path uh, pathological words to, to, to describe. And honestly, I just felt a force inside moving, and I just followed it. And I, I just followed it. it. It really is that simple. And, you know, we can label it from the outside and, and tell wonderful stories about it, but my lived experience of it was, you can call it a voice, you can call it a feeling, you can call it a force. I, I, it showed up, and I, and I trusted it and followed it. And, I mean, of course, Joey has had that similar feeling because, you know, you were removed from your family, yeah. you know, as mm -hmm. by, by virtue of your spiritual awakening and just coming into contact with spirit deep enough that it revealed things that you needed to do on your path. Um, so I find that fascinating that two people from such distinct different worlds um, can have experienced a similar kind of That's why translation of yeah, things, you know. football, you know, he, for him it was. He was an essay from the hood, and he was like, Ricky, William. And I was like... You know, the only thing I can identify with was what I was dealing with at the time because I was a street hoodlum um, when I was younger. And I didn't, I wasn't a spiritual guy. I mean, I went to church when I was younger, but nothing, nothing like this. And I, I wasn't sure really what was happening at the time. You know, I was like, what? I, I, I think I went home and checked out a video on Ricky Williams to see what the fuck's this guy doing in the tent and what is it, what's he doing? And I was, they said he's, he, you know, he was crazy. And I was hearing the same shit, but I didn't feel crazy. And that's the thing. I felt that inner voice, but loud, loud. And it felt so real to me at the time that I wanted them to believe that I wasn't crazy. So I started saying things, but I started to look crazy because I wanted them to believe what I was feeling because I felt like it was the most amazing thing that could happen to a human being because I started to care about everybody around me like crazy. Every, the homeless people, whoever it was, the planet, the earth, the trees, the air became so important to me overnight and it it just changed the way I look at everybody the way I look at myself and I think like you said I, I love what I see I didn't when I was younger I didn't like I didn't like myself a lot I, I didn't like being around people I felt like I would hear it like 
all the voices we get to, I would have to be alone. I remember going to eat, I would eat, I would go to restaurants where nobody was inside the restaurants because even the, the plates, the forks hitting the plates would be too, all of them just coming in, would just be too much for me to deal with. So I think maybe at a young age, I was very hypersensitive and not knowing what it was, but they wanted to put me on medication. He's got this or he's that, you know, oh, he's a, he's a smart kid, but just can't get him to focus. And, you know, you, you know, so they put you on all those, uh, and Ritalin or, and it's interesting because, you know, that's such a, um, an easy cop-out for Western medicine to do. You know, we don't try to actually address the core issue of what people are going through. We just kind of we glaze over it with medicine or medication. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's bigger than medicine. Um, you know, it's our, it's our mythology, mm-hmm. right? And, and the mythology that we've adopted is, you know, we're supposed to be logical and things are supposed to make sense. Mm-hmm. But that's that's only half of the world, and sooner or later, if you cut off half of the world, it's gonna it's gonna have its revenge. And I think this is what we're seeing. It's just things are balancing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. I mean, I I, I think recently in Denver, um, they 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 had something to do with uh, legalizing uh, mushrooms, mushrooms, magic yeah. mushrooms, decriminalizing, decriminalizing, yeah. <laughs> legalize, decriminalizing. Almost. And I f- and I find it interesting because, you know, in football and in sports. Um, the medicine that they want us to take is the one that kills us the fastest. Um, it's the one that damages our insides. It's the one that does things to us that are almost irreparable. And, you know, for your career, you have been known as someone that is on the fringe of that kind of medication world as far as you didn't believe in it, so you chose your own path. What a lot of athletes are doing, and they're getting, they're getting fined every day. Um, what, what, why did you go to the medicine of cannabis? Um, what was the, the path that led you to it? I mean, it's simple. I used it and I felt better. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to me, at, the, at the, the root of everyone's experience, most people's experience with, with cannabis, or anything they do repeatedly, it's yeah. like, it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spiritually, for me, when I, because I wasn't smoking weed or doing any of it, and when, when I started to go through my awakening, I started smoking weed, but then I started taking edibles. And so the only thing that was in my system was marijuana, but I helped, it felt it helped me because I, it was a lot of energy that was going through my body. And so one of the things that she was saying is that because of the amounts of edibles I was doing, that I somehow created brain damage or something, but it really did at the time help me to kind of calm down. But I didn't do it for any other reason than somebody else told me to, you know, check it out, try it. And, and it did, it really, it did relax me. You know, smoking, it wasn't my thing, but it, when I did ingest it, it did, it did, Show me out. Big I don't time. know what they're talking about. I don't do that. Yes, I do. Uh, I I have a certain regiment that I follow because, of course, I played football long enough to incur injuries that I still deal with. Um, like, I still have inflammation in my knee from tearing my MCL in college. Um, or, excuse me, in high school and then leading into college. Um, so, like, there's – it's for me, I think the pain management process of being an athlete is something so interesting because we're not prepared for that type of turmoil. Our bodies just aren't physically prepared for that. And they're so quick to put a, a needle in you and to give you this. And they're so easily, like, just triggered by cannabis. You know, so, you know, talking about this, like, the, the whole idea of, of the Western, everything is built off a of belief system. Mm-hmm. Or, or I like to, it's mythology, right? And, and the myth of, of the West for a long time, especially in the industrial age, is get your ass to work, right? Work, and then you get older, you can retire and have a, and have a good life. And so 
I had a professor in college, and he, he did his uh, he did his dissertation on the the language of of medicine on commercials, right? And the whole idea of medicine was the language was get you back to work, right? Get a good night's sleep so you can get back to work, right? Fix your headache so you can get back to work. And same thing in football. I mean, the main purpose is get, get your you ass back on the work, field, yeah. get, get you on, get you on the field. Um, and yeah, you know, I I saw I saw an article the other day about capitalism, right? I saw an article the other day about millennials and how um, compared to earlier generations, millennials are lagging behind the normal capitalist <laughs> milestones, right? Good. And, exactly. And, and, you know, the, the voice and the tone of the article was like, like it was a bad thing, but maybe, maybe things are changing. And I think one of the things with, with mushrooms, cannabis, meditation, yoga, what these things do is they help us tune into our, our inner world. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that our inner world is something that's been ignored for, for far too long. And, and now you see a rise in, in you know, substances, uh, teachings, a lot of things that can help facilitate this, this balancing of helping us get in tune with our inner world and these forces that are driving us. And, and I think as we do that, life, we become more conscious. And I think life not, doesn't necessarily become easier, but it starts to make more sense. Yeah. Hmm, and that's 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 well put (laughs) life does start to make more sense now i do understand that you're certified or in in a lot of different healing modalities (laughs) um a ton of different things like 20 of them yeah i'm a a class junk (laughs) so what what are the uh, what are your favorites (laughs) what are your your top five you know for me for me the the I wouldn't say it's a favorite. Like I've studied a lot of different things, but under underneath all of it has been, I know that all of these different things converge and really come together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the main tracks are, you know, my, my first entree was, um, I became a certified yoga instructor. All right. Um, and the kind of yoga had a lot to do with, with pranayama, breathing exercises and, and meditation. All right. Next, I started to, to learn craniosacral therapy. Um, Question: What what is craniosacral therapy for the people out there? Because I don't so even craniosacral therapy. If you go on the website and you and you and you see what people are comfortable talking about, you know, it's a it comes from osteopathy, which is a, a form of medicine that instead of giving pills, they do body manipulations. Hmm. You know, the idea that structure and form are intertwined, structure and function are intertwined, and if there's something going on with the function of of your body, if you adjust the, the structure, the function will correct. And if there's something going on with the, you know, the function of your bo- the structure and you adjust the function, you can, you can co- come to balance. The deeper people say it's, it's spiritual body work, right? The, the idea of mind-body medicine, right? Mind-body-spirit. And we separate them, but, but really when you do this work, you realize that, that they're, all, they're all connected. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working on someone's ankle, right? And then they, they have this flash of a memory of when they were eight and they fell off the curb on their bike and their mom, instead of comforting them, like slapped them and spanked them and said, you need to be more careful when you're riding the, riding the bike, right? This is, this is a deep wound to the, to the soul, right? That, that the world, it's not a safe place to acknowledge weakness in the world because I might be punished for it, right? This is a, this is a, a soul wound that's manifesting in the, in the body. Um, and then next, I, I really started diving into to astrology. And, and so for me, all the different things I, I've studied, the core question is, where do all these things come together? And, and how can I use all of these tools in my toolbox to help facilitate more consciousness for someone? 
And sometimes you'll meet people and, you know, you got to go through the body. Sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes, you know, you, you got to go deeper and you got to push someone to get to get anger and rage to come out because it's it's stuck. It's stuck. And, you know, right now, my my current uh, obsession is <laughs> is Chinese medicine, you know, because I, I my sense is, uh, you know, through the evolution of Chinese medicine, they figured out some things in the connection between the body and the mind and, and the spirit and ways to to treat the spirit through the body and, and vice versa. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I was trying, you took acupuncture here in Santa Monica, right? Yeah, I, I'm studying at, a, at Emperor's College. Yeah, I was like, I was like, <laughs> I got to sign up. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, I'm doing that. For how, how have you seen as far as what are the transferable qualities from the work you're doing now to the modern day athlete now? Like, like what? Because, I mean, I'm always interested in how we help the next generation of athletes kind of come into a more conscious state and, and be more aware of their body and be more aware of what they're doing to their body and how they can kind of not necessarily remedy, um, but just help. You know, I have a, I have a different, I have an alternative vision for, for modern day, modern day athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think at least the, the story that I was given is um, this is what you're good at. This is all you can do. But my experience is the, the skills that innate skills in, in, in high level athletes uh, alongside with the, the skills that are required in training and mm-hmm. teamwork and dealing with adversity, they, they transfer directly to, the, to life and to the spiritual path. And the reality of life, as much as people try to live small to avoid it, is that life is hard, and you're going to get hit by a 250-pound linebacker in the face, and you're going to tear your MCL, and you're going to tear your pec, and you're going to have to – like, this, this is real. And, and I think one of the things that's not talked about – relative to athletes is to be a professional athlete at any level, a collegiate athlete at any level, you have to have a tremendous amount, uh, a, trend, a tremendous ability to recover, mm. healing, recovering, right? You know, NFL players, I mean, when you really think about it, it's crazy, especially the way I played, you know, I get 35 carries and I got seven days to get ready to do it again and do it again and do it again. So I, I started to recognize in me mental, emotional, physical, that I had this tremendous ability to recover and to bounce back. And right, this, this dealing with adversity. And I think if, if athletes can, can allow their skill set to transfer outside of just football and then apply it to life, any area of, of life, they're going to see similar, if not, if not more, success in those, in those areas. And so just, it's just a, a, a tweaking of, of perspective, you mm-hmm. know? So with all of this, you know, transfers over into into athletes and it's just opening their mind to say listen you're an extremely powerful person what would you like what would you like to do with this power you know one of the senses that I got especially at the height of my fame is, is people would would you know notice me and they would there's something about me this fame thing that people would notice and they would attribute it all to football and and this is not even to the hard work that it took to make, to get to that place. It's just a, the assumption that there's natural there's natural ability. Yeah. But but I think in order to be successful in anything, you know, it's a formula. And if you can apply that that formula to any area of life, you're going to see similar, if not greater, levels of success. Words from Ricky Williams. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry. Um, so it's practice. I mean, because professional athletes, right? If they're lucky, they'll play to their forty. You got another half of your life. That first forty—that's practice for what's for what's coming up next. I believe everything in our past prepares us for for the for the present and for the future across the board. And if we look at it like that, then there's 
There's no wasted experience. Yeah. There's no waste. Nothing is wasted if you're willing to, to have it all. Yeah, there was a, an, a, a, an interview with you, and you were talking about what it's saying here, obituary. And you were talking about, I said that Ricky Williams gave football up for, uh, for marijuana. And after, like, listening and looking at everything, I was like, no, just like what you just said, you created what it is, what you're becoming, like a spiritual, a spiritual leader of some sort, obviously. Because when I hear you talking, the things that you say, you're as connected as connected gets. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. Like, we're, we're moving out of the, Lene and I were talking about this, we're moving out of the age of, of the guru, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're moving into the age of the person that, that actually puts their actions where their, where their mouth is. And, mm-hmm. and for me, like, yeah, I've studied a lot of different philosophies, but what's real to me is what can I apply to my life on a daily basis? And whether it's parenting, whether it's being married, whether it's studying, right? I'm applying spiritual principles to everything that I do. And I, and I think that's how we create change in the world is people are inspired by, by who we are when we live according to our principles. I think, too, is by having someone like you and, and, and how people look up to you, is, it's important for kids, inner city kids. I mean, I knew the way I grew up is, like, especially right now, it's so important to be able to, even to listen to you and have that. We need to go into to, to schools, I think, and even into prisons. I think that some of the time, you know, looking at that to bring yoga into, into correction facilities. Um, I just look back at the things I did and how I thought and the way I think now and the, the things that I do and attribute it to, you know, when I went to India and becoming a, a, a yoga instructor and just being more aware of myself and who I was and how important that is when you really start to figure out that this is an instrument because we're all taking advantage of something that's so amazing that we have and we're on tennis picking this information up. And when I was able to understand that, I was like, we need to be able to talk about this to kids because it's not spoke about. Not like the way yeah. you're, not how you're breaking it down. I think it's important to talk to kids, but, you know, I think it's more important to talk to, to talk to parents. Yeah, and parents, like yeah. Because in my, in my path, the, the thing that I've found the most harmful to everyone is judgment. Right. You know, and, and I could, I could talk literally for weeks about, about judgment. But this idea, because most people think of judgment as I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm right and I'm good is a more harmful judgment than I'm bad. Because mm. the things that we judge as bad, we're willing to change. The things we judge as good about ourselves, we're usually not willing to change. And that is, that's, that's as real as it gets. I mean, because that's very true for yeah. I mean, speaking for myself, like, really I don't think about it like that. Yeah, I mean, like, well, that's, that's, don't something. think about it like that because you're, you're thinking of to correct something else. Well, something, something, that's holding that, a line. something that, that you just cracked up. me open. <laughs> something that you brought up about this idea of being, of being crazy. Right. You know? yeah. uh, and, and for me, when I, when I left, yes, and I was in the tent, everyone, everyone totally thought I was lost my mind. The realization <laughs> I had, if this is what crazy feels like, yes. <laughs> right. right? Yes. Because, you know, we're leaders. We're leaders. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and I, I had a mentor, and, and he said, you know, we need to live on the creative edge. Yeah. Right? He said most people are only want to live on the cutting edge, but then you always get cut. If you're, if you're on the creative edge, you're, right. you're on that edge of where we're, of where we're headed. And there's no, there's no past story to justify or to help people understand. Yeah, like yeah. If you're really truly being yourself... It's not possible for people to understand you. The best they can do is by looking at you, they can get some better sense of understanding of themselves. Yeah. And so I, I, I just, you know, moved to a place where I realized people can understand me. So I, I, I gave up that expectation and just try to just be myself as, as much as I can. And, you know, 
seems to be working all right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's working well. Um, but, but this idea of being leaders, you know, and yeah. I, another mentor said being a leader is going and not caring if anyone follows you. And as soon as you care if someone follows you, you start to change your behavior to make sure they keep following. And right? the crazy thing is, is that's the world that we live in now because, like, for me, I'm considered a micro-influencer in the social media world. And, you know, we've reduced humans down to who follows them. Um, and it, 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 it's creating this, this, this vacuum of leadership that's not real. It's just a bunch of people that are looking for attention. And so I find it very courageous um, once I again, think it's always been like that. Relative, well, yeah, it has. I mean, it's leaders. always been a, yeah, I guess, I, I guess <laughs> and that's, right. I think that's the problem. And we're seeing a shift now, I think with, with, you know, this past presidential race mm-hmm. is that people are realizing they're waking up to the people that, you know, like the attention are the ones that are, are, are going for it, <laughs> but, you know, they're not necessarily the best leaders. And so maybe some of us more spiritual, introverted, passive type people need to take on more leadership roles. That's true. And, and so here's here's even a question, because I have I found this also when you were playing football. So interesting is that um, when you were with New Orleans, you would get interviewed and you would keep your helmet on because when I was in high school, I kept my helmet on. And I mean, I didn't care. I just I just thought it was something funny. Um, but what what was your reasoning for keeping your helmet on? I mean, it, it evolved into, it evolved into something. So <clears throat> first of all, I was the story started. We were I was playing for the Saints. It was my training camp in my rookie season. And we had training camp up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I just had a bad ankle sprain, so I wasn't, I wasn't even playing. And uh, it was after practice, and I was going over to the media tent, but it was raining. And so I put my helmet on to, to go to the, to go to the <laughs> tent. And I think already in, in my really early in my NFL experience, I got the sense that I'm not a human anymore, you know, that almost like I, uh, I'm a hero and I belong to the media and I belong to the fans. And that didn't really sit well with me. And so – already a little bit edgy, <laughs> touchy. And then I, I sat down for the interview, and I just sat down. And one of the reporters said, take your helmet off. And my, I was like, like, I just sat down. Give me a second. So I said, I'm just going to leave it on. So I did it for that one interview. And then as I, it became a big deal and I started to do it more, it, it felt c- comfortable because it felt more real to me where they would say, take off your, take off your helmet. We want to see your face. And my feeling was, you guys don't really care who's underneath the helmet. Mm. Uh, you already have an image of, of what I am, a projection of what I am. That's not me. And so it felt in a psychological way, it felt self-protective. Mm. You know, that I, I'm not going to buy into your definition of me and, and play this game. I'm going to save at least a little piece for myself. Uh. <laughs> you know, I, I, shit, um, I'm just fascinated with how, um, how you see things because for most athletes, how we see them and the, the most heralded athletes, um, they're pretty much pretty linear in how they look at things and how they view the world. And they don't really spread um, a light onto the deep parts of ourselves that we often ignore by being these figures, by being these athletes. Because I think it's comfortable to sit in the ego of the body, which a lot of athletes do. I did that. I was just cool. And I'm still doing that at 31. I'm still jumping over people and doing all these things because it's comfortable for me. feels good. Yeah, it feels good, you know. But at the same time, there is this... Um, I've awakened this 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 soft side uh, over the last six years where I don't I don't care about you know all that this can do anymore. I really want to care about what's happening inside. What's my what are my thoughts um, that are replaying themselves in patterns? Why? Where do they store from? You know, it's like all these things are now becoming more interesting than just um, jumping over someone. And I think that's where I hope that athletes will come to understand is that 
they're way more than their bodies. And I think that's the problem that I find in sports is we're so concerned with the body. Well, I, you yeah. know, I, I think of it in terms of questions and answers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I, I'm a big proponent of, of questions because w- when you ask a question that's truly a question, you always get you always get more information. Mm-hmm. And and when we're in school, and teacher asks a question, everyone right, we raise our hands and, and what's expected of us the answer. And so we grow up in this culture where we we always need to have the answer. And for most people, being a professional football player is the answer. Hmm. And what happens when you have the answer, there's a, there's a, a vacuum of questions. There's no questions, right? Because you already have the answer. And I, and I was guilty of it too. You know, when we, when we find the thing that we're supposed to do, especially if it's based on the system, right? We, we figured out the system. There's no more questions and there's no more, there's no more growth. And I was fortunate, and I say it, and fortunate enough to have injuries to the body to where my answer wasn't as sturdy and, and questions kind of forced their way in. <laughs> and, you know, begrudgingly, I, I was able to let go of, of the answer, this old idea, and, and become intrigued and obsessed with questions and of the adventure that, that life has open, open for me. Wow. Here's a, here's a, here's a good question. Do you want to um, go to the NFL Hall of Fame? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question, you know. I think it would be. I think it would be a it would be a telling sign of evolution of our culture. Hmm. I think when when my story can be appreciated as something that is is deserving of the Hall of Fame, I think it's a good sign for for where we're headed. I agree, and I and I I I mean I think it should happen <laughs> because I do believe that um, certain people deserve um, to be seen in that light to just show others what it looks like to to be on the creative edge because we're just not told to do that. We're not conditioned to do that. The system tells you if you go to that creative edge, you're done. You're not a part of us anymore. Yeah. The collective, you know, you're not a part of the sheep. The only place we're allowed to go is, is in our, in our fantasies when we watch movies or read. Exactly. Which brings me to this point. You Game love of Thrones. I'm telling you Game <laughs> of Thrones. That's why people love Game of Thrones. Cause they could, they could be on the creative edge for that hour. That is every, so every true. I can't stand Game of Thrones. Um, you love Clash of Titans. I yeah. found that out. Why now? Tell us about Clash of Titans. I, I just love, I just love mythology. So this is something I've been, I actually been studying <laughs> intensely the past, the past few weeks, and and really simple. It's, it touches on things that that we've talked about. But the idea was in ancient Greece, the the gods were like intertwined with the living world, and you see it in the Odyssey and, and the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as we became more intellectual, more rational, like the archetypes or the gods were buried and they weren't rediscovered really until Carl Jung in the early 1900s and, and Freud recognized that the myths were appearing in people's and people's neuro- neurotic behavior. And he started to, to make the connection that we buried these, our relationship to these forces and they still exist, but instead of existing outside in the world and intertwined with the world, we've buried them. Hmm. So a lot of our work is going in there and, in getting comfortable in this inner world so that we can reintegrate these, these forces or these, these mythical gods. And so when I do an astrological reading, reading it's storytelling. I'm trying to get people in, in contact with the, the gods that are, that are in there. You know, I, I think, of, think of in ancient Rome, you know, I, 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 my thought experiment. No, let's go to ancient Greece. Okay, I'm, I'm there. I'm going. I'm going. All right, and let's say <laughs> Taurus, right? A I'm Taurus. a Taurus. Yep. Okay. Let's go. Let's uh, go. Another another way to to translate someone being a Taurus is someone who worships in the temple of Aphrodite. Yep. Right? That's true. 
So, so it's just this idea of, you know, Aphrodite is, is the goddess of, of beauty and peace, right? And helping us calm yeah, down and, and feel good, right? And, and, and so when I'm talking to someone who's a Taurus, I'm saying, like, in my own way, I'm giving them tools to help worship at the temple of Aphrodite. In this way, you take care of yourself and you build a relationship with this force that is preeminent in your, in your consciousness. Well, I'm ready. Um, wow. I think... <sighs> Um, um, I think I want to. I want to. I want to take a shot at having you uh, um, understand me better. Do you know? Uh, do you like? You've, you said you've had. <laughs> well, the, the the point I think if I do a good job is not that I understand you better. But you understand <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, so uh, I mean, I think I, I think we should do it. Uh, so what do you need? What, what's all the information? Um, time, date, and place. Okay. I was born at 10.22 a.m. This is public information now. Uh, oh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> in Washington, D.C., uh, May 7th, 1988. Okay. 10.22 a.m. That's your boy. Yeah. So do you, are you familiar with your chart at all? I've had, listen, I've had my chart read so many times, but here's the thing about astrology. You know, here's the thing about, about uh, the, the mythical world. Um, it's, it's, I still teeter totter in, 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 in the full faith in some of the things that I hear from people just because of what I already know about myself. Um, which of course is, it's just an interpretation, but I often also take interpretations a lot literally, literally than most. Um, but this is fascinating <coughs> because I got Ricky Williams doing my, doing yeah, my so, reading today. So uh, the question yeah. that, that I, that I often ask people you said what time? 10? 22 a.m. All right. The question I ask a lot of people who especially have had, you know, com- previous conversations about their chart mm-hmm. is from, you know, what you've, you've heard from other people. What um, what sticks out? What jumps out the most? What what feels? Um, I think there's always this. Man, I'm getting, um, there's always this uh, this leaning into saying that I'm like um, fascinated with beauty and with material possessions, um, uh, with the world underneath Aphrodite, yeah. uh, which I kind of am. I can't lie. Uh, I think mom and dad did a cool job with this face and this body. Um, no, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I really do um, have a fascination with like beautiful things, aesthetics. You know, I love aesthetics, good aesthetics. So that's always one that sticks out. And then the other one is um, bullheaded. And I just bought into it for the last 31 years. Yeah. Like literally, every time somebody says you're a tourist, I'm like, yeah. They're like, I'm like, I'm bullheaded. I, I say it before they say you do not it. Seem, you, you do not seem that way to me. Thank you. Like I'm not bullheaded, yeah. but I keep, I keep, I say that, but I don't believe that. Yeah. So, you know. All right, so I'll I'll do a little a little <laughs> tourist cleanup here. Nice. You know, I was I was um I was teaching a class uh, several months ago, and there was a tourist in the front row, and, and a similar conversation, and I asked, you know. Like, what do you know about Taurus? And she said, I'm stubborn and I have a thick neck. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, uh, all right, that's, that's useful. Not really. Uh, You know, in, in, um, all right. So I'll, I'll break down the reason that Taurus is considered stubborn because the way I look at astrology, I'm not looking for what's wrong with you. I'll Mm -hmm. mention the the shadow side of Mm -hmm. the sign because we're, we're humans, right? Some days we feel great and we're, we're, we feel enlightened, right? And some days we feel like, you know, 
Satan's like <laughs> come on, come with me. Our and we're, and we're following. <laughs> so we 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 manifest the, the whole spectrum. The idea is we you know we gradually move towards um, choices that 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 feel are more empowering for us, right? And so the, the basic core. First of all, I think the reason people talk say those things to you is because of your son, right? And the son is like our the center of our of our identity. It's our mm-hmm. core identity. It's it's our it's our path in life. Who we're becoming. And so there's certain, I think of signs as relating to certain qualities that in order for us to have vitality and to feel centered, we, we have to be true to, to certain things, okay? And the, the main thing with, with Taurus is Taurus is all about calming down, right? It's, it's all about calming down. And, and let's go a little bit deeper here, right? <coughs> Someone born with the sun in Taurus means their life is centered around calming down. Why would someone be born with the need to calm down, Right? It's because whatever happened in the past right, was, was a situation that was, that was probably horrific and, and terrible. And now in order to, to process and understand everything, you need some peace and some calm. You know, I, the story I like to share with Taurus is about a tribe in Africa. And when, when the warriors go out to fight, when they come back, they get around the fire, and for three days, all they do is dance. <laughs> that's all they do is dance because they realize when you go into war you see things that, that bring you outside of yourself you know and in order to come back to life right you got to get back into your body right. you got to get back into your body and you have to learn to trust your instincts again right because in war uh, you know those instincts of peace and calm will get you killed right you got to go outside of yourself when you're in a, in a very stressful situation and the part of the healing process is coming back into your body and learning to trust your instincts and so and so there's a need for simplicity, right? And, and Taurus is a part of us, I think the closest thing I can compare it to is a part of us that's like an animal, right? And, you know, I think of, I used to have a dog, right? The dog would come in and it would walk around the room and it would smell everyone. Real simple. The people that, it's, that smelled good to it, it would sit down and let them pet them. People that didn't, it would walk away, right? Dog had a favorite cushion where it would like to sit. These things that are just simple, these simple things that help us get, get back in touch with our instincts, okay? And so... Like an animal, right? You try to you try to change an animal's like comfort comfort area, they're gonna get anxious and, and put out a little bit because they need to maintain this feeling of safety. And this is where when it goes too far and safety becomes more important than ex- exploration, that's when that's when Taurus becomes bullheaded, right? And so it's just keeping mm. in mind that yes, I need serenity, I need peace. But also, I have to remind myself that sometimes I have to push myself out of my comfort zone. You know, it's just, it's just that balance. But, but in order to feel centered, Taurus, you have to value things that feel good. You have to value things that feel good. Next thing about the chart is, you know, the sun is one of the planets. There's, there's 10 planets that we tend to look at in, in astrology. And I think the next most important planet is uh, the next most important planet is the moon. Okay. And I think of the sun as being the primordial yang energy, right? Vitality, energy, masculine energy. And the moon is, is the feminine side of things, right? And they, they balance each other. I think of the sun as being our conscious life, our ego, our identity, what we do in the world. The moon is, our, is that inner world, mm-hmm. right? The, the inner world that we can tap into. And for you, your moon. So part of this inner world is about our needs, you know? And I think of a, a, the main function of needs is to, is to balance the sun stuff, right? It's like you go out in the world and you work all day. If you don't come home and have like a, a peaceful place to get your needs met, whether that's 
let off some steam, get some good food in you, some, some touch, especially for a tourist, right? Touch is extremely important. Get you back in your body. You got you to gotta learn to take care of your inner world. Otherwise, your outer world will you'll burn up. You got to have that balance. The, the cooling energy of the moon keeps the balance so we can, keep on, we can keep on in our journey. And when you were born, the moon was in the sign of Capricorn, right? And so playing off this idea of needs, okay? Capricorn is about finding our, our role in the community, you know, there's a need to be successful, right? There's a need for people to respect you. It's a need, right? And for you, this, this moon is in the seventh house. So the main area of life where you need to be respected is in relationship, you know? Is that it, it's, it's kind of a, a cliche, outdated model, but it's, it's relevant in your life, you know? Like your partner needs to think that, that you got something going on. That you better damn better. Yeah, seriously, th- this need to be respected by other people, right? You know, is is extremely important. Um, uh, and, and another thing here is your Cancer rising, okay? And this complicates things a little bit, all right? <laughs> be- because Cancer and Capricorn are opposite each other, right? And so this this idea of I mentioned partnership, okay? From an astrological point of view, the purpose of partnership is to provide balance, mm. okay? is to provide balance. It's like, um, I'll give you an example of uh, cancer rising, okay? So, so Capricorn is about having something meaningful to do in the world, having a position in the world. Cancer is about having something meaningful to do, having a position in the house, okay? Um, it's about, it's, it's ruled by the moon, so again, it's about our feelings, okay? It's important for a cancer rising person to do what they feel like doing, okay? But, Let's take this a little bit further, okay? Right, it's just kind of what we talked about. There's, there's times in life where it's important to be in touch with your heart and do what your heart feels like doing, right? But we also have to function in the world. And I talked about this need for respect. Someone who only does what they want, probably not going to be respected, mm-hmm. okay? And so this, this cancer, extremely important to be in touch with your, with your feelings and, and to be able to have a safe enough environment that the deepest parts of yourself that you can share that you can share in the world and feel safe doing that, right? But also, there has to be a part of yourself that is willing to go out into the world and accomplish something. And a big task in your life is finding the balance between these two things. And what's going to help is finding the right partners, people that people that smell right to you, people that you can vibe with. It's, it's extremely important. I mean, I could. Could go on. <laughs> <laughs> Jossie's like, do yeah, one more. I'm yeah, so happy yeah. with this information. <laughs> um, yeah, I can do one more. Okay, so yeah, this this is probably um, okay. A theme, right? When you, I look at a chart, I look for I look for themes. Mm-hmm. One theme that's that's pretty powerful is is this idea of meaningful work, finding meaningful work. Um, part of Capricorn because it, to have a position or have a role or to be respected it's because you found something that you're good at and that you can kind of rise and, and become powerful um, so south node okay the south node of the moon right here's where we get all spiritual and stuff okay so with the south node south node of the moon again the moon is our emotional body the south node represents the past mm-hmm. what what experiences do we bring into this world with us. I talked earlier in this conversation about first half of life, recapitulating old stuff, right? To me, this, the south node points to this. So your south node is 20 degrees Virgo, all right? 
means a, a shortcut, not a 100% accurate, but a shortcut to get to the heart of what this is. You were a Virgo in a past life, okay? And what is Virgo? It's this idea of being skilled at something, you know? I think of Virgo as the archetype of the craftsperson. Um, I like to tell a football story, right? And I'm sure you can relate to this, okay? I have a lot of Virgo on my chart. And so I, I viewed the way I played football, I viewed it as me honing my craft. And I loved to practice. I love the idea of going to work every day and, and even getting feedback from the coach so that I can fine tune and get better and get better. Okay. So, you know, imagine someone in a past life that was constantly in this, situ in this position where every moment was about getting better. Every moment was about getting better. Right. The, the positive side of that is is you bring in with you. I don't know what the skill is. Third house, a skill with co of communication. No doubt about that. You have the gift of gab. OK, this is something that you trained. You trained past lives. You've really trained at this. OK, the, the shadow side of this is if you're if you're in an environment where you're constantly trying to get better. Right. It creates this dynamic of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Because you need to have the humility to recognize where you're not good enough in order to have the drive and the wherewithal to improve and get better, okay? But the shadow side of this is you can get stuck with this feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not ready, right? North node, north node in, in uh, Pisces, right? The, the remedy for this is the realization that God's love is absolute. It doesn't matter what you do God will always love you. Okay? <laughs> and, and, <clears throat> and so, you know, your, your spiritual path is, is one um, that entails spiritual exploration, right? Spiritual exploration. And, and letting go of this idea of uh, I'm not ready or I'm not good enough. Realizing that the, the juice is in the adventure, right? The, the juice is in the experience. And and another thing I'd like to talk about with South Node and Virgo, right? I, I just come back to this picture of the previous life of working to get better, working to, right? You put you put a lot of, um, you put a lot of um, money, karmic money in your in your karmic bank account, okay? Right? You you put a lot in because you did the work, right? In this lifetime, it's time to let go and receive receive the reward, receive the benefit. Okay, last thing, <laughs> last last thing I want to touch on because it's 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 amazing is um the sun. Okay, sometimes we two planets are, are next to each other, mm -hmm. right? And what this means is in this lifetime the work is is how to combine these two planets, how to integrate these these two forces. Um, the planet Jupiter is conjunct the sun. All right, and most astrologers they see they see this and they rave on and on about good luck. Good luck, good luck, good luck. Because Jupiter, Jupiter, Zeus, right? And mythology was the king of the gods, right? Um, and this is, and if you think of in Greece, Zeus was the king of the gods. And what do we get from Greece? We get philosophy, right? And so one part of Jupiter is is has a lot to do with philosophy. The, the deeper truth here is the king of our lives, the king of our world, is basically our worldview, our belief system, right? Because whatever we believe. Everything that happens to us is filtered and interpreted through our belief system, okay? And so with, with Jupiter conjunct your sun, uh, right, everything I said about Taurus, about getting back into, into your body and 
three. To combine these, building a, a personal religion or belief system that's actually rooted in your body. Yeah. Just right. In, 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 in the 11th house, this is something that really activates and comes online as you mature. And the, the thing about the 11th house is it's, it's goals, long-term goals, uh, life strategy, and alliances, allies, right? So the idea is that for this chart, the most important thing for you to do is allow yourself to imagine who you are and what you're doing when you're 60, 65 years old. Hmm. Right? Get, a, get this sense of when I'm an elder, right? When I'm in that last third of life, what do I see myself doing? Where am I? Right. And and then start to make choices today that help you get there. And one of the main choices are the people that you surround yourself with. Right. When you have this image of where you where you would like to go, what your goals are, make sure you surround yourself with allies that share similar goals to help support you in that in that mission. Because, you know, this chart, big, this big 11th house, this gift for communication, um, people, communication is a social chart. Right. And big, biggest piece of advice I could give to you is make sure the people you spend your, your time around have similar goals to you. Otherwise, you dissipate waste energy. And don't spend any money on a psychiatrist. Go see this cat. <laughs> I'm going to see you, Ricky. <laughs> um, just to give feedback on that, because uh, um, everything you said was so real. Uh, so I teach a class um, for a festival called Wonderlust, which is a yoga festival, largest one in the world. And um, this is crazy. I've taken uh, basically my background in sports, sports conditioning, hit training, all these things, and combined it with my newfound passion for meditating and for um, bringing people back home. And so it's called the Jossie Method, by the way. <laughs> and I've been teaching it for the last four years, uh, four or five years, I would say. And that's literally why... That's why I do what I do. Um, there is this need to bring two worlds together. Um, there's this need to bring things into harmony. Um, yeah, and, and I talk the whole class. Um, yeah. And now I'm doing you know, speaking gigs and all these <laughs> things. And um, So yeah, I mean, literally every single point that you touched on uh, was pretty direct. Yeah, to, yeah. Um, thank you, Ricky. Uh, that was... Um, amazing. That, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, and and still waters run deep. <laughs> okay, Joey. Still waters run deep. Yeah, I mean, if we ever get a, a chance to to go. To oh go no, I'm going there with you, Ricky. Soon, we trust get, me. As soon as we get off the go, air, we go a chance to go deeper. There's um, interesting relationship dynamics. Okay, we don't got to get into that today, Ricky. No, that's not. We don't, that's another another episode. Um, but actually, you know, I actually uh, I want to just mention this because I think it's important. Months ago, Joey. Uh, he gave me some of your, your your products. So you have <coughs> an entire product line that I love, by the way, that I don't have enough of. Ricky, could you give me some things? Um, but I there is it. a product line that you have under your brand, Ricky Williams Wellness? Or, it's or Real Wellness. Wellness. Real Wellness. I love yeah. that name. Yeah. And um, what are your products? And Because, and, I mean, I, I, I've been, mom, don't get upset. I've been um, smoking cannabis, weed, um, dope, mom, for um, quite some time. And it's helped me to center. It's helped me to come back home sometimes when I get a little way with my thoughts and my, my even my body because I'm still I still do performance athlete tricks and all these things and I find that it helps me to come center. 
Um, so what are the products that you have that are that can help me to come center as well? <laughs> yeah, well, before I get into the, the specific products, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about um, kind of why why I started Real Wellness. Yes. And, and you know, things we've, we've touched on. I mean, to me, I, I believe as an entrepreneur, in order for, for to feel good about what I'm doing, it has to be an extension of, of me and my, my, st- my story. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, you know, moved back to California where, you know, from Texas and cannabis is legal here. You know? and so <laughs> Very and so legal. Going, in, going into dispensaries and, you know, being an herbalist and hearing, you know, all this talk about medicinal marijuana, but seeing how it's marketed and, and it's hard to find the medicine in, in the cannabis industry right now. And, and I started thinking about, you know, so back after in 2004, when I retired from shortly after I was in that tent, I ended up in Northern California studying Ayurveda and I was in California. I had my, my medicinal uh, marijuana rec rec, and I was going to school learning about herbs and I was volunteering time in the herb lab. And so I come home with a bunch of herbs from the herb lab and I have my, you know, a couple pounds of cannabis and I just started formulating in my kitchen. <laughs> you know, I, I had friends dealing with stuff, but my, my son had really bad eczema. And so I was on trying to figure some things I can, I can create to, to, to help them. And I helped a lot of people. I helped myself and fast forward legal you know, cannabis industry. Uh, I'm going around, speaking at different conferences and I walk the floor after and the vendors say, Hey, you know, people love you in this space. You should come out with your own brand. And my wife, Linnea and I meditated on this. And if we're going to come out with the cannabis brand, what do we want to do? And what popped into my mind was let's make medicine. Mm. And so I've taken, you know, my 15 years of studying medicinal herbs and, you know, my 15 years plus of studying one medicinal herb in particular, <laughs> and, and really combined them. And so, um, when we when we first started, we came out with a, a vape, a vape cartridge for headaches. We came out with one for anxiety. You know, realizing that cannabis is great for for what people call recreational use, but but there's more, right? Mm-hmm. There's more. And the way that herbs work, you know, it's the way I've been trained is they work well in formulas. You know, it, it's like one herb does a lot of different things but when you combine herbs that do something similar it gives a more clear message to the to the body so for instance people people want to use a true story right a good friend of mine was arrested for his third dui and i sat him down and said how to talk and he's like you know maybe you need to stop drinking right (laughs) (laughs) and and he's in in real talk he's you know Real life, he says, I have a lot of anxiety, and, and drinking is one thing that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about this earlier. People use things why because they work. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes they work, but they have side effects. And so I said, why don't you try, you know, cannabis? And he says, I get freaked out, and sometimes it makes my anxiety worse. And so I thought about that. I said, I wonder if I if I added some herbs that were good for anxiety and combined it with the cannabis, if it would help. I did it, and it worked. Mm. You know, he's, I mean, as far as what he says to me, he hasn't had a drink in two years. No problem. Really? Yeah. And it seems like his life is, it seems like his life is, is getting back on track. And so in, my wife, you know, she had friends reaching out to her for, for, for products, for things to help them feel better. And we were able to help them. And so we both said, this feels good to us. We like it. We have the resources to be able to like create something in the world in this direction. So let's do it. And, and we did it. And, um, you know, we, we launched a year ago and, 
in that past year, the CBD craze has really taken over. And yeah, so we, we, you know, started with THC products, but we moved into CBD and, and found this great formula for, for arthritis. Right you know? Combined it with CBD and people were getting amazing results. I was in school talking to one of my, um, one of my, one of my teachers who's a martial artist. And we started talking about herbal formulas and he blew my mind and he said, yeah, he says the, you know, he says the, the Taoists and the Kung Fu artists, you know, they started coming up with formulas to help them train. And I just thought free workout, you know, people were training nowadays. And so our optimized tonic, you know, I came up with this amazing formula to help prepare the body for exercise. And, you know, once you really start learning what herbs are and how they work with the body, it, it, it's fun. It's, pl it's playing. You yeah. combine them together and you, you see how they help people return to, to balance. And so our mission is to bring, you know, the medicine back into, into, into cannabis. And the name Real Wellness is, is really pointing out a lot of what we've been talking about is real wellness doesn't come from eating organic. You know, the Bible says, you know, what, what comes out of your mouth is more important than what goes in. What goes <laughs> in your mouth can only defile your body. What comes out can defile your soul. Mm. And to realizing that, that cannabis is powerful medicine that, that can help, help with self-reflection and increase the quality of what comes out of your mouth if you're willing to do it consciously. That stick it in your pipe and smoke. Yeah, it. do that. Yeah. Huh? Um, I, I am beyond fascinated with everything that we talked about today and discussed. Um, I want to thank everybody for being involved in this. Uh, thank you, Joey, uh, for honestly for helping me um, find my voice uh, with all these things that I'm talking about and doing. I think it's very in, important to feel that. So thank you. Creating I, this I platform. was fascinated listening to and just watching you guys talk. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not. I'm not kidding because of the, I just talking to to Jossie when when we were at that lake and when I said it when I saw his eyes he lit up and I didn't I didn't understand I didn't that's I didn't play football but what you guys share and when I saw it I was like damn so it was interesting well, watching you guys sit down and, and communicate. It's like I mean let's face it, um, Ricky, you've done everything in football that a man can do. So as someone that, you know, I mean, as far as like just statistically, you know, from the heroism standpoint, like me growing up, I was like, yeah, fuck it. I want to be like Ricky Williams. No, but I, I, like I said, I'm trying to transfer that. I'm trying to be, I know, I'm trying to become the Heisman Trophy winner of, <laughs> of parenting, of yeah, yeah. husbanding, of. Are you raising, are you raising Blaze consciously? Yeah. Yes. How are you raising your I kids? Mean, you, how are you, how do you, what's your spiritual? I asked that because I have four kids and I'm, I'm, he's I'm obviously, yeah, I'm. <laughs> No, I think that exactly. I think the most, you know, my sense is the most difficult thing of, of with parenting is is to not put your stuff on your kids. You know, I think that that's the mo that's the that's, that's the, the number one thing you do because exactly. you want them to do the things that you do what I did, what you couldn't do. Yeah, yeah I mean that stuff, but I also mean the you know the, the other, emotions, the other stuff, and yeah. so yeah. the the biggest thing is is I, I make an effort you know, with my kids to see them and to try to respect their path and whether I like it or not, try to be as supportive as I possibly can in, in their own path. And it's, it's a challenge because, you know, the, the universe, the universe has a sense of humor. <laughs> and and I, but I think the, the reason for it is if, I think if you can be more conscious in the way you raise your kids, you can heal a lot of your own childhood stuff. And yeah. Mm. I remember Blaze, you know, when, when he was five, you know, I, I, he lived in Hawaii and, and I, I went down to visit him and we're in, we're in the car and, you know, he keeps calling me father, you know, father. And I said, 
you call me dad. And he looked at me and he said, he said, no, he said, dads are around, you know, fathers just, just produce the sperm. And this is a five-year-old kid. And he said that. And like, I just felt like this, this like deep sadness run through me. And it reminded me of my experience with, with my father Hmm. and, you know, and realizing, okay, that I've realized in order for me to become a good parent, I have to deal with my own stuff um, that, that came up for me being being raised and and I think parenting is probably the most important thing that that we can do. You know, I, I think we we pass on more than our than our genes. And what I try to pass on to my kids is is a sense of freedom for them to 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 be who they are. Mm. Yeah. That's a, did you get that, Joey? Yeah, no, no. Sure. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, it's the most, one it's of the the most th- challenging, but it's cliche, but also the, one of the most rewarding rewarding things that for me, it was right now with my kids, and the reason why I brought that up is I'm going through this transition with my with my family because when I went through the awakening, they saw it as, as I was going crazy and losing my mind, and right now I'm becoming closer. We're very close. And so they're starting to see this is who I am. This is this is it. And I'm saying I made a decision with my kids, like good, bad. I said, Whatever. I'm a good dad. I'm a bad dad. I'm whatever, but I'm your dad. Yep. And this is who I am. I'm always going to be here for you, flaws and all. This is who I am. Uh, I, and it, the amazing thing is they, like, they're like they good with that, more so than, than anyone that I've ever been around, at least. Yeah, yeah. I think we're still going through this 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 uh, this change. They're looking at it now, and they're seeing it's like the new normal, because they saw me as a different way before, the way I used to go out and get things. And I'm not saying use intimidation, but manipulation. Aggression. I could... I could use, you know, use my words and be able to get around things by using things to stress people out. I could get in people's head. And I'd, I never thought of it that I was really taking advantage of people and how wrong it was. I really didn't. I just felt that that was a gift I had. And being on the street, that was what I did. And then when I said what I was, when I saw it and was able to see what I was doing, I, I, I definitely wanted to change that, at least because I'd, I'd shown that to my kids. I saw them doing it. Now they were doing it to me. I'm like, oh my God, how's that for full circle? I just fucked myself up. But now having to go back and kind of not say rewind it, but learn from it and see the things that I'd uh, shown them, how I'd projected this, you know, all the things from when I was younger. But it's it's definitely come full circle as far as how they see um, uh, just trying to be a better person, really. I mean, to me, real role models own their stuff. I mean, because that's that's to me, that's what I want to roll. That's what I want to model to them the most is that you're not going to be perfect, and there's going to be things about yourself that you don't like, and other people don't like, and you have the power if you want to be able to change it. But it starts with acknowledging that, and so yeah. it comes back to the to the whole judgment thing. Is I, I try to show my kids I'm not judging you, but I do want to give you a reflection so you have more clarity about what your choices are creating, and if you want to create it, go for it, and if you don't, you have the ability to do something different. Thanks a lot for coming. I'm signing up adoption papers and moving in with Williams. <laughs> I'm signing adoption papers. No, but uh, thank you so much, Ricky, for being here. Um, for I don't even know what else to no, say. Your insight and just everything. Yeah, everything, I really man. appreciate you coming in yeah, here. It's, it's been, a, thank it's you. been a real treat. Thank you, Linnea. Thank you, guys. And, uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Space Between is out. <laughs> <laughs>